Welcome to the Speech Digest. Today is February 23rd, 2021. I'm Chris Campbell. Don't forget to follow Tales of the Tribunal on LinkedIn to stay up to date with news from around the world of international dispute resolution. Let's jump right into it. This week we start with the news. Beginning this week, we start with the Court of Arbitration for Sport as the General Court of the European Union issued a ruling to address the question of whether the arbitration rules of the ISU, the International Skating Union, conferring exclusive jurisdiction on the Court of Arbitration for Sport with respect to the appeals from ineligibility decisions are improper under the EU competition regulations. The court decided that the EC's decision requiring the ISU to change its arbitration rules was unjustified. This matter came to the court after a battle between the European Commission and ISU, whereby the EC had determined that the ISU had violated the EU competition law by adopting and enforcing its own eligibility rules. Because the Commission considered this infringement to be ongoing, the European Commission required the ISU to end the infringement by making certain changes to its regulations including its arbitration rules. Specifically, while the Commission did not consider the arbitration rules to be inherently anti-competitive, they held that they could have an anti-competitive impact as part of the larger body of rules. Now, the European Commission required that the ISU change its regulations to which the ISU filed an application before the court to annul the decision. Although the ISU raised eight pleas related to its rules, the court dismissed all of said pleas except those related to the arbitration plea. With regard to the arbitration provisions, the court examined whether or not the commission had the authority to impose any penalties on the ISU at all, and determined that its ability to do so was limited to the extent that the ISU's actions were, in fact, lawful. Thus, since the ISU was the exclusive jurisdiction for resolving disputes related to its organization, then the commission did not have the power to impede the ISU's matter of how it will resolve disputes. This analysis will be welcomed by many in the sports arbitration world as a positive decision as an award in the contrary might have disrupted the ability for the sporting institutions across the world to determine how they will resolve their own disputes while increasing the authority of the commission over those types of claims. The judgment from the court is not final and still may be appealed on certain points of law. Then let's go to Singapore where an interesting new defense was raised in the closing submissions before the Singapore High Court and, if successful, may have an important impact on the practice of commercial arbitration in the area. The defense, arbitral awards should be set aside for, quote, breaches of natural justice, end quote, was raised in the matter of CAI versus CAJ and arose out of the fact that the tribunal had granted an extension of time defense raised by the defendants for the first time in its written closing submissions. Now, Climate argues that it did not respond to the extension of time defense in its own written closing submissions because it had not been previously mentioned, and therefore it had not had the chance to provide evidence or cross-examine witnesses on the requested extension of time. Nevertheless, the tribunal accepted that there was no direct evidence before it on the issue, but that it was capable of deciding the issue nonetheless. As a result, the Singaporean High Court did set aside this part of the arbitral award because of the admission that there was no evidence supporting the need for an extension of time. And the claimant did not have a fair and reasonable opportunity to present its case in respect of the extension of time defense. This framing of the quote, violations of natural justice, end quote, is another way of stating one, lack of due process, two, decisions of a tribunal generally must be supported by evidence, and three, while the tribunal's jurisdiction is broad, it is limited to within the circumstances of its mandate via the underlying arbitral agreement. 
It will be interesting to see how parties frame these types of arguments going forward, especially given the Singaporeans' court's willingness to set aside the arbitral award on these grounds. An American Arbitration Association arbitrator sided with Professor Tom Schneller, a part-time professor of music at Ithaca College, for engaging in a protected union activity. As a bit of background, Ithaca recently announced heavy cuts to untenured faculty and threatened to decimate union rank. In May of 2020, worried about potential layoffs, Schneller wrote a memo to full-time faculty colleagues called Solidarity in a Time of Crisis, a plea from your contingent colleagues, and posted it to a virtual Ithaca message board. The college accused Schneller of violating a no-strike clause in the collective bargaining agreement and threatened him with discipline, such as termination, and demanded that he retract the memo. Schneller's union, the Service Employees International Union affiliated chapter filed a grievance which was denied which prompted the matter to continue to arbitration. The arbitrator found that Schneller's actions had not violated the union contract. In the wake of the award, the union had this to say, while contingent faculty are relieved by the arbitrator's decision, the union committee remains troubled by the heavy-handed attempt of the IC administration to crack down on legitimate union activity. An Ithaca College spokesperson responded that it felt that Schneller had, quote, violated the letter and spirit of the no-strike clause, end quote, but accepted the arbitrator's determination. The decision is a notable victory for workers' rights, which are largely non-existent in many U.S. labor markets, even when unions are present. Next, let's stay in the United States as a U.S. federal district court makes an intriguing ruling against the state of New York. Before diving into that decision, a bit of context. Many of you likely know that the Federal Arbitration Act, the FAA, sets forth a national policy in the U.S. favoring arbitration. As a federal statute, it generally overrules or preempts local state law unless there is a relevant exception which, on that note, the state of New York attempted to create. Namely, the New York State Legislature passed the 2018 law, Section 7517 of the New York Civil Practice Law and Rules, to exempt certain types of claims from arbitration, including claims alleging discrimination under the New York State Human Rights Law. Through this provision, New York sought to provide those who claim to have been victimized by sexual assault a public forum in which to air their grievances. However, in Gilbert v. Indeed, Judge Louis Lindman of the Southern District of New York disagreed with the New York legislature's interpretation and held that Section 7517 is preempted by the FAA and thus cannot be used to exempt from arbitration claims that which would otherwise be arbitrable under the FAA. The decision undoubtedly will resurrect old arguments regarding states' rights versus federalism and the extent or scope to which arbitrability and it is unlikely that this matter is now settled as a point of law and will be something for U.S. practitioners to keep their eyes on. Finally, we end the news this week with one more news out of the United States. On February 12th, the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of West Virginia denied, for a second time, a satellite TV provider's motion to compel arbitration in a TCPA class action, concluding that the arbitration provision was, quote, overbroad, absurd, and unconscionable. The plaintiff in this case had filed a lawsuit against the defendant for making repeated, automated, and pre-recorded telemarketing calls to an individual even though her number was on the national do not call register. The defendant moved to compel arbitration claiming the plaintiff's dispute was covered by an arbitration agreement in the contract governing her cell phone service with the telecommunications company, which is an affiliate of the defendant. The district court denied this request ruling that the allegations did not fall within the scope of the arbitration agreement. Then on appeal, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit issued a split opinion vacating the district court's ruling and remanding back to the district court for further consideration on the point of, quote, unconscionability. On remand, the district court stood by its ruling to deny compulsion to arbitration for the same reason and stated, quote, 
plaintiff was an ordinary wireless customer, end quote, that was given a small electronic pen pad device with a few lines of an agreement displayed at a time and an option to skip to an acknowledgement screen, which required her signature in order to obtain her fine service. She would then be irrevocably locked into face demands that she arbitrate any dispute arising out of the relationship with virtually any of the telecom's corporate cousins. Ultimately, the court found this argument unconvincing. Before we finish the story, I would note that there is a heavy anti-compulsory arbitration sentiment in the United States, i.e. arbitration is generally fine for business-to-business -business transactions, but when there is a bargaining or dealing power discrepancy, then it can have a chilling effect on the consumer's rights to have their interests protected if and when the dispute arises. This is a hotly contested point that is sure to arise in other contexts in U.S. arbitration practice. Then starting off opportunities this week, we have a call for applications this time for five funded PhD positions, all from the Max Planck Institute Luxembourg for International, European and Regulatory Procedural Law, which has recently issued a call for PhDs at the Max Planck Institute Research School for successful dispute resolution in international law. Call advertises as follows. Selected PhD candidates will receive full-time research contracts of initially two years, with a possible extension of up to two additional years, depending on the availability of funds, the student's progress, and the director's approval. In addition to being embedded in one of the most vibrant departments and its activities, PhD candidates will receive additional guidance and take part in special events, such as doctoral seminars, master's classes, and lectures. Candidates must submit a succinct description of their research proposal and letters of recommendation. Applications are due by March 31st, 2021, and a full list of details are available on the university's website which we will put in the show notes. Then, in another posting from the Singapore International Arbitration Center, SEAC, SEAC is recruiting an associate counsel. In this role, an associate counsel, the successful candidate, will assist the registrar, deputy registrar, and the administration on SEAC cases and will supervise the proceeding for cases assigned to you and ensure that proper application of the SEAC rules and Utsuntral arbitration rules for arbitration in compliance with the arbitration laws of Singapore. The ideal candidate should have two to three years of post-qualification experience, the ability to work in teams, and strong interpersonal skills. Staying in Singapore, Herbert Smith Freehills is seeking a junior associate to join his dispute resolution team. The ideal candidate should have two to four years of experience and a background working in dispute resolution, as well as a strong sense of humor and a readiness to work collaboratively in a friendly but high-performing team. Finally, a second language would be an advantage but is not essential. The position is available on the firm's website. Finally, Real Madrid's graduate school, Universidad Europa Masters in Sports Law, is an LLM aimed at law graduates from around the world who want to develop their professional careers in the field of international sports law. The program focuses on the mechanisms and practices that support the field and has been designed by a group of international sports law experts. The ideal candidate should have finished a first degree in law and have an interest in working in the international legal and sports community. Applications are currently being accepted and more information is available on the school's website. Finally, we end the week with upcoming events. Now, first up in events this week is an exciting one from a longtime friend of the show, Arbiter Women. This event is entitled International Event in the Digital Age, Navigating the New Norm. What is the optimal way to develop a career in international arbitration in COVID and the group is advertised as such? What is the optimal way to develop a career in international arbitration in a COVID world? A question almost every practitioner has asked herself since the advent of the pandemic earlier last year. While we miss the days when it was possible to seek out new opportunities over a quick cup of coffee, the myriad of virtual networking solutions that the new normal has opened up is something to be optimistic about. 
Profile raising, job searching, networking, and business development are yet to be explored to their full potential in the digital age. How do we tap that potential? Where do we start? How can we be sure that we are both efficient and effective in our pursuits? Arbitral Women will take up these important questions centered around career development and the international arbitration in the digital age with practitioners who have successfully navigated the new norm in innovative yet effortless ways. The date for the event is March 8, 2021, and it shall be 5.30 India time. Registration is available on the Arbitral Women website, and Tales of the Tribunal is proud to be a partner with them again for this fantastic event. Then after that, next up for this week, the Asian International Arbitration Center, AIAC, via its Young Practitioners Group, is hosting a conference titled Exploring the New Frontier, the Modern Landscape of International Arbitration. On March 3rd, a keynote address will be given by Professor Ingeborg Schwinza, and the panel will address topics that have come up in this year's moot problems, such as joinder, intellectual property rights, and international arbitration, and a debate on green initiatives and international arbitration. Several great panels are on the schedule, and you won't want to miss it. The event will be a prelude to the AIAC's pre-moot occurring from March 5th to 7th. Full event details will be available on the AIAC website. Finally, one last event. Quickly, Russian Arbitration Week 2021 kicks off on February 28th and will feature seminars and roundtables organized by Russian and foreign arbitral institutions, together with lectures and presentations by notable figures in international arbitration, and of course, exciting cultural programs which will take place in one of the most dynamic cities and locales in the world. Registration is available and we will post the link in the show notes. That's all for this week. Remember to follow Tales of the Tribunal on LinkedIn to leave a review. And if you can, share with a friend or colleague. Any comments or feedback for the show can be sent to talesofthetribunal at gmail.com. Until next week, this has been Disputes Digest by Tales of the Tribunal.